0: The Plaza Hotel. Hey, it's the Bowery Boys. Hey. The Bowery Boys is brought to you by Eurocheapo.com. Eurocheapo editors personally visit and review the best budget hotels in Europe. Now with hotels in New York City. On the web at Eurocheapo.com.
1: Hello there and welcome to the Bowery Boys. My name is Greg Young. And I'm
0: Tom Myers.
1: Back again for another exciting episode of the Bowery Boys. We are both a little bit under the weather, so you might hear that in our tone. a little
0: gravelly tone. But we
1: will forge on, soldier on, into our new topic for the week, the glamorous Plaza Hotel.
0: We really wanted to be sipping champagne as we recorded tonight's podcast, but things being as they are... Rather grandmotherly in the our room here. We're hot tea
1: instead. There is really nothing like the Plaza. I mean, there are a lot of glamorous, wonderful, old school, old style hotels in Midtown, but the Plaza is actually a very hollowed place for some people. It's like this very romantic castle that sits right next to Central Park.
0: A chateau, a French chateau.
1: I mean, since it's been open, it's it's been the center of like all sorts of celebrity events.
0: Celebrities have been
1: married there. Famous movies have been filmed there. It really is the epitome of New York romantic old style. Um, it's And it's interesting because it's gone back and forth in its existence, as you'll hear, between a hotel and um, an apartment building. And of course, now, today, it's both Right, of those. Trying
0: to figure out its identity in the 21st century. The
1: line has indeed blurred throughout its whole
0: life. So let's take a step back now and check in to the history of the Plaza Hotel.
1: Tom, why don't you get us started here with uh, situating us, where is the plaza in Manhattan, what's around it?
0: Well, the Plaza Hotel is located at 5th Avenue between 58th and 59th Streets. And it is, of course, right across the street from Central Park. In fact, of course, from Central Park, from many areas of southern Central Park, you can look up and see its castle-like quality looming over the trees there. Today, just south of the Plaza is Bergdorf Goodman's famous shop, actually on both sides of 5th Avenue. Directly across Fifth Avenue from the hotel is F.A.O. Schwartz. And the uh, new Apple Store. The new Apple Store, the big glass cube sitting there. Needless to say, it's
1: a heavily trafficked tourist area. There's a lot to do and see at that intersection. What
0: tourist to New York doesn't end up at some point in their journey walking past the Plaza Hotel. Before I lived here, I would, you know, sometimes go in and use the bathroom at the Plaza Hotel because Just because you could? You could. You know, it was fancy.
1: And of course, in between all of this, right in front of the Plaza is the Grand Army Plaza. But take us all the way back. What was here? Yeah, what was here? Okay,
0: let's jump back about 140 years, yes. shall we? There was actually a pond on the site of today's Plaza Hotel. It was an old farmland with a big pond called, in fact, the Fifth Avenue Pond.
1: Did it collect offal and all sorts of junk like the collect pond down? This was no collect pond. Okay,
0: people would come up and they'd skate on the pond in the winter. The very exclusive New York Skating Club was formed on the spot where today's plaza sits.
1: Eventually, it was transformed into a, a sort of a carriage turnaround where because they expected all this traffic to be entering Central Park at this particular place. But after a while, they decided that they didn't really need that, that there wasn't that much traffic. So they ended up turning that area into a little Plaza, what we know today as the Grand Army Plaza, which was modeled after a Parisian plaza, the Place de la Concorde. Am I saying that correct?
0: No, it's the Place de la Concorde. But I like Place. Look, I'm I try to you know,
1: I'm just trying my best here. I've got like a head cold. Really quickly the Pulitzer Fountain was added to the to the plaza in nineteen sixteen and it was actually called and officially designated Grand Army Plaza in nineteen twenty three.
0: And, and you're saying over and over and over here Plaza Plaza Plaza. So are you suggesting then that the hotel would get its name from this very plaza?
1: Well, it could, I suppose. Um but before the plaza was there, I'm gonna give you you a little prehistory of what happened on that plot of land because Please. it was destined, it was meant to be a place for a lot of people to live either permanently or for small amounts of time, but it took them a while to get something going. The first plot that was hatched for this plot of land um, was by, it was in 1882, and it was by a man named Reverend Jared Flagg and his son. Ernest. Jared wanted to he was build- it, was, it was an
0: Ernest flag. It was an
1: Ernest flag, Ernest flag, and his father, the Reverend Jared, yes, decided that they were going to build an apartment house. Now, this was kind of before the days where they sort of pre-sold things. Now, they do it all the time. I don't, you couldn't survive. You couldn't build a building in New York without doing it. But back then, this just wasn't done, but they would pre-sell the rooms in this apartment building. Some of the advertisements said the largest and handsomest apartment house ever erected in this country, it was supposed to have 12 stories and 52 apartments and elevators that went directly into the apartments. Well, except that, of course, it was never built. It was a total scam. Later in his life, Flagg was arrested for mail fraud and for attempting to start up a quote employment office for chorus girls. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm wondering if he lost his reverend designation with that, <laughs> perhaps, but
0: he sounds like a sick flag. <laughs>
1: Indeed. So that land was eventually taken by these two developers and who, frankly, didn't have much better luck with it either, named John Fife and James Campbell. They actually did build, um, were known for hotels, they built the Gramercy Hotel in Gramercy Park, but they had some problems with their architects. Well, first of all, the architect on the Gramercy, this man named George DeCuna, he was going around town with some sketches of this hotel and that he was going to design it, but of course they didn't hire him. The real architect, his name was Carl Pfeiffer, he did in fact design a British Gothic-style building that was nine stories. However... As it started getting built, Pfeiffer kind of noticed that it didn't look anything like the building that he had designed. In fact, the developers had gone away and stripped off all the ornamentation. It basically looked as, like a, like the accounts say, like a factory or an asylum. Oh
0: my word.
1: <laughs> um, you know, nothing that was going to attract anyone. It, so basically, it was pretty much unfinished.
0: And that was going to be an apartment house or a... A hotel
1: that was going to be an apartment house. They weren't going to sell any, so they were eventually sued, and this kind of like unsightly building then went into the hands of the New York Life Insurance Company, and so finally they kind of finished the building, and luckily they hired some very respectable architects, none other than McKim, Mead, and White. Mm-hmm. They gave it kind of a Renaissance design. They altered this apartment building though into what would be a transient hotel. That word transient certainly has different connotations today, but (laughs) back then it was just literally like, you know, it was just a hotel where you and I would stay at. Um, For people
0: coming to town, coming and going. Yeah. Transient. Yes. It was opened in
1: 1890. It It was kind of high class. It was advertised as being in the, quote, most aristocratic area of the city but it it still wasn't what this area needed i mean this is keep in mind at this era this is one of the most exclusive neighborhoods in new york um all the major millionaires have houses all around here up and down 5th avenue
0: Including, of course, Cornelia's Vanderbilt. A, a,
1: well, it would, it would just be a block or two away, right? But
0: he was actually just right across 58th Street from the Plaza Hotel. Okay.
1: And there were all these other luxury hotels that were popping up. So this building just wasn't going to do it. So luckily, another collection of developers come in.
0: Right, there were actually three businessmen who joined the story here. Bernhard Beinecke, Harry Black of the US Realty and Construction Company, and John Betamillion Gates, who decided to <laughs> build a newer and a grander plaza.
1: By the way, if I could mention really quickly oh, Harry Black, he was also the president of the Fuller Construction Company. And I mention that because do you know where the headquarters of the Fuller construction company were? It it happened to be in a building that was to be called the Fuller Building, but ended up being called the The Flatiron Building.
0: So U.S. Realty, his company, decided to buy the old hotel for $3 million and tear it down because the foundation wasn't solid enough to make it go higher. They wanted to build something grander, but also taller, something that was basically a really sophisticated skyscraper. Now, John Gates, John Betamillion Gates, was willing to gamble on all kinds of things. He had actually made his fortune in barbed wire.
1: Wow! So the so the you could say uh, conceivably that the, <laughs> yes. the foundation of the Plaza Hotel is built on barbed wire.
0: So John, in agreeing to invest in this project, insisted that they hire Fred Sterry to be the managing director of the hotel. Now, Sterry was famous for his management finance. Ness at the finest resorts all over the country.
1: Yeah, just like several, all over the place, right? Saratoga Springs, New
0: York, Hot Springs, Virginia. I mean, this was a man who was made for the high-class luxury hotel market. He knew how to give people what they expected, and how to even raise the level on what people should expect. In establishing the plaza as really a luxury destination, Sterry would be the man. They would actually send him off to Europe to buy the finest fabrics and cutlery. Oh, yeah, he had
1: Irish linens for all the beds, like would be right. straight from Ireland. Like a lot of the wood would be from English forests. Um, you know, m- the marble would be from, uh, you know, the m- from uh, for the marble m- columns. columns would be from Italy.
0: Yeah, and and the manufacturers of these different furnitures, or the, the fabrics and whatnot, would then advertise and the trade publications, that they had been chosen to furnish and outfit the new Plaza Hotel.
1: And he even claimed that everything in the hotel would be custom-made, quote, a quote from him saying, uh, there is not a stock thing in the decorations, even the border of the mosaic floor was designed for this room.
0: So, the group demolishes the old Plaza Hotel in 1905, and they hire the architect, Henry Hardenberg who had just finished oh, yeah. very, very a couple familiar. of other big big numbers. A
1: couple things that we've talked about. The first one being... The Dakota Apartments. I think the plaza looks a little bit light. There's definitely Cousins. Oh, sure, yeah. And a little bit lower...
0: Lower in the grid.
1: L- on Fifth Avenue. Would be the waldorf Astoria hotels
0: which he designed was built in 1891 on april 19,
1: 1995 a federal building in oklahoma city was destroyed in a domestic terrorist attack just days after the bombing america discovered the perpetrator was right-wing extremist timothy mcveigh whose mindset and values are still very present today
0: Now, Hardenberg chose the French chateau style mixed with a skyscraper, and you can see it. It's, and it's loosely based, I think, on a column because you have the base of the column, which in this case is the first three floors of the Plaza Hotel and that kind of rough marble. Mm-hmm. And then the hotel rises up in column form right. for ten flights of rooms before you get to a very elaborate and intricately designed roof for capital of the column. And the mansard roof, you know, and the balconies and the turrets. It's very distinctive. It's a beautiful roof. Gables and whatnot.
1: Now, this was supposed to be, it was a kind of a hotel, but it was really meant for long lease permanent residence. Is that incorrect? There's this notion of, the wealthy really had their homes in the winter. They would go out. They would have their homes in the countryside. They, you know, all the really rich families of New York would have houses in upstate. But then during the summer, they would have need places to stay for the summer months.
0: Well, like you had already said, I mean, the big families had their mansions up and down Fifth Avenue, and this was a way of changing that mentality and saying, "Look, we all know that you have your country houses, you know, in upstate and wherever." But when you're in the city, you can stay in very fashionable hotels that are built to suit a lifestyle that you expect and deserve.
1: And are around your your neighbors are only the best of New York has to offer.
0: Got it. Sounds like we've been drinking the Kool-Aid, Greg. <laughs> We're only explaining the mentality They're
1: here. They're the Kool-Aid of the bourgeois.
0: So, as we mentioned, the old hotel was ripped down in 1905, and the new hotel went up fairly rapidly and was ready to open by October 1st, 1907.
1: Now, Tom, do you know who the very first guest in the hotel register was?
0: Tell me. It must be somebody from really far away.
1: Um, Try across the street. It's from um, (laughs) Alfred Gwynne Vanderbilt, the son of... Cornelius Vanderbilt. The second. In fact, it was signed Mr. and Mrs. Alfred G. Vanderbilt and Servant. Wasn't in fact how they signed in.
0: Who's Servant?
1: Servants. Servants. Ah, Servants. Servants. People with trays. Right. Jeeves. Yes. Jeeves. Now, they had r- heavily orchestrated this because when you have the son of, you know, one of the richest men in New York signing on to be a guest here, it's sort of sending a signal of like, hey, it's okay. Rich people, you can stay here. Um, but
0: it is kind of ridiculous, isn't it? I mean, his parents have this enormous mansion right across the street with innumerable rooms in it.
1: Look, I mean, do you want to go move back with in, with your parents? I mean, just moving across the street's the next best thing, I guess. <laughs>
0: Uh, The opening day of the plaza was also the opening day for motorized taxis in New York City. Did not you know that? No, I
1: didn't. That's amazing. How convenient.
0: Exactly. Harry Allen's taxi fleet of 25 cabs sputtered up Fifth Avenue the very same day to the plaza, parked around it, and waited to whisk guests off on motorized trips around town. He inaugurated his service on that very same day, October 1st, 1907.
1: Now, one month later, uh, there would be the very first scandal at the Plaza Hotel. What happened? And there's this British stage actress, and her name, her stage name, was Mrs. Patrick Campbell. Her real name was Beatrice, but she went as Mrs. Patrick Campbell on All the signs. She was known. She was a huge star. She was actually the original Eliza Doolittle in Pygmalion. She was Ah. even later a big Broadway star. Well, Mrs. Patrick Campbell was staying at the plaza. And I mean, she was a very forward woman. So she was in the palm court, which we're going to talk about in a second. And she just decided to light up a cigarette. Now, this was unheard of for women to smoke in public. And not only smoke, but she was a well known woman and people were looking at her.
0: And it was probably a mixed crowd, too. There were men and women in the same space. Well,
1: and so, of course, you know, people politely came up and said, you know, ma'am, you can't smoke. This is not, you know, this is not a smoking area for women. So she legendarily replied, my good man. I understand this is a free country. I shall do nothing to change it. So she was going to be very obstinate. So they just took a screen and they just put a screen in front of her so that she could smoke behind her screen and I, I mean, I, I'm sure it was quite a sight, but Ms. Mrs. Patrick... Mrs. <laughs> Patrick Campbell. I know, so...
0: Hey, Greg, I have an idea. Should we maybe take a quick little virtual tour? Because we both have stacks of anecdotes. Yeah, of- you know,
1: just wa- let's just walk through it together. Walk through it how it was then, and we'll talk about the sort of transitory rooms because as things the, change.
0: The, the plaza of 1907, from when it opened, would go through a couple of renovations, but it largely remained the same. Many of the rooms remained the same. And many yes. changed.
1: And many change, and many change back, in fact.
0: Well, let's walk into the lobby. Okay, so first of all, when we say that we're going to walk in through the lobby... Which one? We think of, right, the Fifth Avenue side. You, well, That's what I think of. Well, you couldn't have done that when it opened because it that there. was a restaurant. So you would have walked in only from the 59th Street side into that lobby and today's lobby looks very much the way it did back in 1907 with the beautiful vaulted ceilings, the elevator bank, the rich carpets and tapestries. It's a deluxe lobby.
1: Super fancy.
0: Now, right beyond the lobby it is the tea room, which would be also referred to as the Palm Court. Palm Court. And that was designed as a sort of homage to the winter garden of London's Carlton Hotel. They had marble columns, mirrors, palm trees, and the and,
1: stained glass ceiling.
0: Right, the yellow and green glass skylights that at the time let in lots of light. It was called the Tea Room by guests, but it wasn't called the Palm Court until the 1930s. Now, in 1944, that glass skylight up there was removed because a 1920s addition to the hotel had actually blocked out most of the light. And in 1944, they needed to add some air conditioning. You know, they had big clunky machines and things and they had to hide them up in some unseen area and nobody would really miss the skylight.
1: But what's amazing is if you go to the plaza now, the latest renovations have brought back that skylight ceiling, yes. and it's so beautiful. And I can't—I'm surprised that they would destroy something like that to put in a their air conditioning unit. But I guess, like in the summer months, you need your air conditioning in the lobby
0: and in the tea room. So turn around now and let's go to the northeast corner of the plaza. Imagine it. Facing Central Park, the Fifth Avenue side, facing Central Park. That's where we'll find the Edwardian Room, also called the Men's Café. Now, that's got a dark, woody interior, kind of a lodgy atmosphere. It's Spanish
1: in style, I believe, with a truss ceiling and has mirrors also along the sides, I believe.
0: Originally, it was only for men, uh, popular for breakfast meetings. Mark Twain would go there and have some hearty breakfast fare. Scrambled eggs. Until the 1920s, when women were also allowed in. Uh, in 1971, jumping ahead 50 years, it was famously, disastrously transformed into this kitschy club called the Green Tulip, which served food and drinks and had a disco, and everybody, well, all the <laughs> yeah. waiters wore green and pink outfits. Well, it had
1: apricot and blue drapes. I mean, I just, it's like, literally, they, they took a beautiful room, and they thought, how can we make this unsightly in an early 70s way? <laughs> the quote I read, Tom, is that they wanted to give the, the plaza a, quote, an aura of today. That lasted for three years until 1974, and then they brought the Edwardian room back.
0: Now, another watering hole was the Oak Room. It was another dark German Renaissance construction uh, that survived throughout the 20th century looking much like it did when it opened. It was closed during Prohibition, of course, and the whole hotel was affected during Prohibition. Now, as we mentioned, that Fifth A- today's Fifth Avenue entrance was the former dining room. It was also called the Rose Room, the chandeliers, the golden ornamentation, the carved ceilings. Men and women were separated by a glass divider while they were eating. But we're in
1: the same room, so husbands and wives could eat in the same room, even at the same table.
0: Now, interestingly, Greg, you know when you're walking up today into that Fifth Avenue entrance? Yes. That porch area. Sure. Now, with the porters and bellhops and the red carpet going up the stairs, that was called for a number of years the champagne porch. Champagne porch. Shouldn't we all have a champagne porch? I've never
1: heard those two words put together (laughs) in quite an intoxicating way.
0: Yes. Waiters would come out and serve the bubbly at very expensive rates to an elite group of customers who would sit at tables right there, paying up to $50 a bottle, which was unheard of, of course, in the 19-teens. It closed, unsurprisingly, with prohibition,
1: so then this was so then this became the new entrance. Correct? That became
0: the new entrance in 1921. Now, perhaps the most notable room downstairs would be the ballroom. Sure. And every respectable hotel had a ballroom and they were, you know, sort of the social hub of the hotel. The the Plaza's ballroom was extravagant. Um, with a stage, did you read this? A stage that would actually become the balcony when it wasn't needed. That sounds Go great. Up and down, you know, like...
1: You really screw with some people's head after a few glasses of champagne. <laughs> So this ballroom could accommodate up to like a thousand people, isn't that right? Like 800 people for a
0: banquet. But I think my favorite room is the Persian Room. It was a nightclub that was opened in 1934, just at the end of Prohibition. That's at the southern end of the Fifth Avenue lobby. And that was a nightclub that was originally outfitted in, you know, smashing art deco design by Joseph urban for its 40-year run. It was a real who's who of stage and screen and song. I mean, you name it, they performed intimate at the room, Persian right. Room.
1: Thank you, Tom, for that tour of the plaza. The, I'll be in the present. Persian Room if you need <laughs> okay. me. Okay. Well, you'll be in there with um, with a relative of Paris Hilton, perhaps. Conrad Hilton mm-hmm. bought the plaza in 1943, and he, and he owned it for, uh, for 10
0: years. But it seems kind of funny, doesn't it, that it would become a Hilton prop I mean, weren't people maybe worried that it was going to lose some of its aristocratic air? I
1: would be a little alarmed, but you keep in mind, Hilton's an extremely rich man. So he was, I guess, in essence, the only way you can say he's collecting hotels. Not so uh-huh. much like developing them and, you know, redoing them in his own image. He's just sort of like wants his name on all. On oh, as many and this he is get. in
0: 43. So this was before the big chain of Hilton.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Now, before we go on, I should mention a lot of the kind of fun pop cultural things that are happening in the plaza throughout this time. You know, F. Scott Fitzgerald, you know, had a scene in The Great Gatsby that was set at the at the Plaza Hotel. Frank Lloyd Wright, while he was, you know, would stay here all the time. In fact, when he was working on the Guggenheim Museum, this is where he was staying the whole time. And, you know, he he just detested New York architecture, but he always loved the plaza. Listen to this fabulous quote from Frank Lloyd Wright. It was built by the asters, asterists, asterites, the Vanderbilts, pastor built and whoever built who wanted a place to dress up and parade and see themselves in the grand mirrors so they sent the finest master of the german renaissance style henry hardenberg and he did this a skyscraper but not the monstrous thing the skyscraper was to become later he still managed to keep it with the human sense
0: the beginning of that quote sounded a bit like Dr. Seuss. <laughs> it
1: was a little bit, like he maybe maybe sp- been sitting on the champagne porch a little bit too long. <laughs> um, in 1956, Marilyn Monroe and Laurence Olivier were here doing a press conference for a movie that they were in, and the entire press became scandalized when Marilyn sort of like leaned over and the strap of her dress kind of like fell down. When the world's hottest sex symbol is, is a strap falls on her dress, people take pictures. Four years later... Alfred Hitchcock filmed a very significant scene of North by Northwest here with Cary Grant. Six years later, Tom, the Beatles would come to town, of course, for their famous uh, first visit to the United States in February of 1964. Ah. Um, when
0: they performed at the Ed Sullivan theater
1: yes and there would be thousands of Beatles fans like standing in the fountain outside I mean I mean just it was so crazy that the manager almost canceled th- their reservations and had them stay somewhere else but he was convinced by his teenage daughter to allow them to stay who of course was a huge Beatles fan as well. Now I can't talk about pop culture and the plaza without of course talking about its most famous resident that would be. Eloise, you know, the girl, little girl who lived on the tippity-top floor of the plaza, those children's books that were written by Kay Thompson. Kay Thompson, by the way, she wasn't just a writer. Oh, no. no. She no. was a singer and a dancer, and she even had she played at the plaza, oh, right? She
0: famously was... Well, yeah, of course she, she did. She had an act that went on for years down in the Persian room. It was rumored,
1: do you know, Tom, that this Eloise was actually about... Thompson's goddaughter and do you happen to know who her goddaughter was because we're talking about famous people here tell me Liza Minnelli So, um, eventually, Eloise would be illustrated by a friend of hers, Hilary Knight, and she wrote the first book in 1954. Today, a portrait of Eloise still hangs in the plaza.
0: But did you know, Greg, that that's not the original portrait? Because the original portrait was stolen one night when there was some sort of collegiate party happening uh, in the ballroom. It disappeared. So they had a second portrait done a number of years later.
1: There's been, I mean, there's... Famous celebrity weddings have been here. Julie Nixon and David Eisenhower got married. Michael oh, Douglas, sure. Catherine Zeta-Jones. Um, downstairs, there was a, a t- for many years was a tiki bar. In 1965, Trader Vix was open for many years and was Richard Nixon's favorite restaurant in New York City. He wow. loved hanging out at the polynesian having polynesian drinks but i mean we didn't count them down but easily the number one biggest pop cultural event that happened at the plaza and probably one of the biggest parties to ever happen in new york city was the black and white ball of truman capote
0: Um, right and truman threw this on november 28th 1966 it was ostensibly in honor of catherine graham who was the publisher of the Washington Post, a good friend of his. But people really say that the reason behind the ball was so that Truman Capote could celebrate the amazing success of his latest book that he had just put out in cold blood and he wanted to party he had hit it big he also wanted to bring together all of his friends and connections all these people he knew from all these different walks of life and put them all together all these celebrities in one place at one time so he sent out 500 invitations thousands more tried any trick they could pull to get in, to get in right. but he only invited 500 and they were not just you know typical a list celebrities they were also politicians you know heads of states from other countries they were other people like the the elevator man who worked in his building his invitation was pretty explicit in what you could wear men had to wear black including a black mask and women were to dress in whites with a white mask and a fan.
1: What is, I mean, a very stunning and unusual thing to do considering there's so many see-and-be-seen people and now they were all masked.
0: Well, and that was part of the thrill of it was you get perhaps the 500 most famous people around and you make them hide their faces. Until midnight, at the stroke of midnight, when they could take off their masks and be seen. Truman and Catherine stood at the door welcoming people, and he had to sort of explain to her who most of the people were because she didn't know all of these people. It
1: was just her birthday party. Why should she know them?
0: (laughs) Who are some of these names? Here. Greg, I've just given you a list of some of the names of people invited <laughs> oh to the God. party.
1: Oh, my God. I really don't know where to begin. Uh, Tallulah Bankhead, Harry Belafonte, Candace Bergen, Irving Berlin, Leonard Bernstein. These are just the bees. Yeah, um, you are N- only in the bees. Noel N- 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 Coward. But Frank Sinatra Laura, was there with
0: Mia Farrow, who he had just married.
1: Greta Garbo, Arthur Miller, Walter Matthau, Alfred Knopf, Tennessee Williams, the Duke and Duchess of Windsor.
0: Yes, of course. So literally
1: like it's this is the most absurd list I've ever seen.
0: You get the picture. Everybody was there. Wow.
1: I mean that's a that's a party that leaves you speechless. That's a party yeah, I mean Where do I we mean, go from that? Well, let me run through the lat- the quickly through the latter years. So the Hilton had it up until 53 and then he sold it to the Sauna Band family who had it until 74. It was then taken over by the Western Corporation up until 1988 and guess who bought it? None other than Donald Trump who bought it for 390 million dollars. He was, by the way, the one who ripped out Trader Vic's. He said it was – he called it tacky, which I find <laughs> hilarious that Donald Trump can call something tacky. In 1995, he actually sold it to a member of the Saudi royal family uh, who was in an agreement with the Millennium Hotels. I mean throughout all of this, there's all these funny, exciting things. That are, like these, an ice cream parlor at one point was – a Turkish bath was in there.
0: Oh, a, a, tricycle a tricycle garage.
1: Yes. I, as you had mentioned, a discotheque was also there. Well, finally, in 2004, it passed on to another company by the name of El Ad Properties. They bought it for $675 million, And what they wanted to do was kind of dramatic. And there was a lot of outcry. They wanted to close the plaza. And part of what they wanted to do was turn it into condos. Wow! And this was a landmark building by this time. In the 60s, it had been landmarked. As a matter of fact, what ended up happening is if you go to the plaza today, they go back to a lot of the original style. It is a really old-style building. It's a beautiful renovation.
0: And they've settled on selling off some of the rooms as private condominiums, But also having a hotel, is that it? Yes,
1: it's 282 hotel rooms, and that's run by the Fairmont chain. But they also have 152 condo apartments. And as you can imagine, those are hot properties. One of the apartments even went for $50 million dollars. LL is intending to actually build other plazas in other cities including build a Las Vegas version. However, I mean this has been on the drawing boards forever and it still hasn't been built. Who knows with this current financial crisis if it will be. But we have this plaza and it's a, a they've brought a lot of the original luster back to it. It's absolutely gorgeous if you, you if you live here and just sort of have taken it for granted, take 5 minutes to just kind of s- stroll down a corridor Look around. I, I think it's magical. Obviously, if you're out, not from New York and you can have an opportunity to stay there, you should try. I think the, I haven't checked, but I think the rooms are probably pricey. But
0: And if you walk in looking for the bathroom, good luck. I couldn't find <laughs> it when I was looking <laughs> oh, you never a couple did weeks ago.
1: Well, so that's our little tale of the Plaza Hotel. Thank you very much for listening. I'm going to have some pictures of this, of course, up on the blog at BoweryBoysPodcast.com. Thank you very much for listening. Have a great New York week, whether you live here or not.
0: See you next week. When it comes to family vacations, there are a million different trips you can take. You can get your own...